0: many of us ever know what it is to become the
1: perfect version of ourselves this is decoding superhuman with your host boomer anderson
0: hey there superhumans it's boomer anderson here i hope your brain's on fire today because we're going to be talking about nootropics if that word seems unfamiliar to you, if it seems more like a foreign language to you, then stay tuned because we're going to go into the definition in more detail very shortly. But nootropics are a form of cognitive enhancement which has been gaining a lot of popularity in recent years. My guest today is an expert in the field. Monsell Denton is the creator or co-creator of Nootropedia, which is a website which offers unbiased and factual information on nootropics to the extent that it's actually available. He's also the creator of a documentary and book called Ahead Above, which Monsell wrote in 30 days. In his free time, Monsell enjoys things like jujitsu and hiking, as well as quiet contemplation and meditation. This episode was quite a bit of fun for me. We danced around why Mansell's experience in prison, yes, you heard that right, may be one of the best things that's ever happened to him. Then we talk about what are nootropics? What are some of the foundations absolutely necessary for somebody to get the most out of nootropics? I ask him the all-important question, is NZT available? Does it actually exist? And we get into the potential downsides of taking nootropics if you're taking an uninformed approach. Finally, we touch on Mansell, as well as my favorite nootropics, and I really enjoyed just this conversation in general. So without any further delay, I'll pass it on to my conversation with Monsal, but all of the show notes can be found at decodingsuperhuman.com backslash Monsal. Have an epic day, everyone.
1: Monsal, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You know, it's uh, it's so good to finally meet you both face-to-face, but also speak to you. I've been getting your newsletter for a very long time now. And uh, I'm, I'm really glad that you're here today to talk about one of my favorite topics, nootropics.
2: It's uh, definitely one of the topics near and dear to my heart. And I think it's kind of a, a, a portal to a much wider conversation that I look forward to having with you and your audience.
0: Excellent. So
1: just before we get started into what are nootropics, did you really write a book in 30 days? <laughs> and then did you also film it too while you did this?
2: Yes, I did and it was probably one of the most rewarding and most challenging tasks that I ever completed. It was a culmination of many different things. My girlfriend at the time and I wanted to go on a road trip and I was brainstorming creative ways to, you know, put together content and uh, the documentary came to mind first and then I tried to you know, consider how to put together a documentary about nootropics, and I decided I might as well test myself and see if they actually work in a in a high stress environment, like you know many people put themselves under on a daily basis. And so that was kind of the conception of the project. And there was so much good and definitely some bad <laughs> that came out of the project, but uh, it, was, uh, it was a overall was a great thing to work on.
1: Well, uh, that, that can spur on so many different questions. But the the, the book and the documentary, I believe, is called A Head Above. And I recommend to everybody to check it out. And in that movie or documentary, you use quite a few nootropics. But before we delve into those, why don't we talk about first, what exactly is a nootropic?
2: How did you get into it? Well, you know, the 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 definition is one that I definitely am slippery with and i do it intentionally because nootropics the very strict definition if any of your audience has watched the documentary dr andrew hill talks about you know the strict definition as being a synthetic or natural compound that improves markers of cognitive abilities without the risks or significant risks of side effects and so there's usually a very kind of small subset of Compounds that are considered nootropics, whereas others are considered smart drugs or cognitive enhancers, et cetera. And usually that's based on kind of their mechanism of action and the side effects associated with those drugs. Now, for my purposes, because I try and reach a wider audience, oftentimes I'll use nootropics interchangeably with, you know, a drug like modafinil or caffeine, which many purists don't believe are considered nootropics. So There's definitely some nuances to the terminology, but I try to avoid any kind of a dogmatic approach because, in my opinion, it really doesn't matter what term I'm using. Someone who is interested in nootropics, they have an interest in improving their cognitive performance. And that is what I'm looking for so that I can take them on this journey that's hopefully far more impactful for them than what these nuances might mean.
1: Completely get it. And I broadly use those terms interchangeably as well. So I'm glad glad we're on the same page. So going back to just one question I have for you, how did you get into the field of cognitive enhancement?
2: Well, it's a, a long story and one that involved a lot of pain and definitely some suffering. But when I was in my late teens, I was infatuated with a woman I'll, I'll give you the short version I was infatuated with a woman who lived halfway we can, across. we can go long version if you want <laughs> well so there was insecurities as a man that made me feel like this woman that lived in Switzerland was someone that I had to be with and I had to get to her by any means possible and that completely shifted my moral compass and when i was told that i needed to come up with the money in order to go to europe to to go to school i was working in a museum that had historical artifacts and i stole the artifacts and i sold them and i went to school in europe i was you know i spent time with her etc and 2 years later i came back to the united states and i was arrested the initial arrest really Shook me because I was raised like upper middle class, um, well educated. Both my parents have PhDs, very, you know, renowned in their field. And so there was a lot of shame, a lot of internal questioning about my morality, my beliefs. What was it that made me think that this was, you know, a good choice? What, where is my decision making kind of faltering? That opened a whole world of self-improvement because I had, a, I had an experience where everyone in society was essentially telling me that you need to improve some aspects of yourself. First, it was around diet and it was around entrepreneurship and building businesses and the kind of interpersonal growth that came with both being conscious of what you're eating, conscious of what you're working on and how you're working on it. And of course, uh, as many people who have this kind of growth mindset, this kind of mindset towards self-improvement, I stumbled upon nootropics. At first, it was just using nootropics myself. How could I supplement the diet, which was a primarily like paleo-style diet, with some uh, supplements to improve my performance? And then I quickly realized that the industry was really lacking in many things. And so I started to get into the business side of the nootropics industry, which of course put me even further into this field and made me more interested and I was doing more work in it. And so it kind of turned into a snowball from there. Excellent. Uh,
1: that, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I, I realize it kind of puts you in a vulnerable spot, but I really appreciate you being honest and sharing the story. Uh, how do I segue from there? Um, <laughs> one thing I, I really enjoyed about the book You lay these foundations on how to get the most from nootropics. And I think some of it is what you did in your own life in terms of nutrition. But do you mind sharing a couple of the things that you mentioned in the book in terms of how to get the most of nootropics and really for the benefit of everybody, realizing that just taking a pill isn't necessarily going to change everything for you?
2: Yeah, I think the best approach for nootropics that I've found that I try and impart on people is to think about them as tools where we can go from, you know, hopefully 95 to 100% in that range, uh, you know, just being totally optimized ourselves to 105, 110% using nootropics. So hoping for some small, uh, you know, increase above what we're already capable of, as opposed to what many people are you know drawn towards nootropics for which is to go from 60 70% because they got a bad night of sleep bad diet drinking alcohol in order to just simply get by or function and i think that taking that approach is really the first step many people that are interested in nootropics may have heard about it on a podcast for example come to me and i actually recommend maybe you need to spend one or two months figuring out the fundamentals first and optimizing those before you even look at the nootropics because like Dr. Andrew Hill said like many people in this space who are you know knowledgeable about complex systems realize is that many of these supplements are going to provide incremental value for you which at the margins is great if you look at an olympic swimmer the difference between gold medal and not even making the olympics is like so small so such a small Uh, boost can be huge for our outcomes from a cognitive enhancement perspective but we want to make sure we're optimized fully before we even try
1: so you you mentioned a couple of points there and thank you for doing it so the foundations are really things like sleep stress uh, nutrition
2: do i have that right and just sort of getting those right before we march on to nootropics absolutely yeah these what I call lifestyle changes are, you know, that's your 80-20 right there. If you want to focus some time on optimizing your mental performance, that's where to do it. Because I have a very complex systems approach, I also consider things like the relationships we have with other people, time that we spend in sunlight, the time that we spend doing the things that really, really light us up, really, really like motivate us that are coming from some kind of you know, inner, like soul place. Um, these are all within that lifestyle component, which are so huge. Because if you think about somebody who is completely optimized with their sleep, their stress, their nutrition, and they're taking nootropics, but the work that they're doing is antithetical to what they believe in the world, and it's not following their mission or their purpose or their passion, then it's going to be really hard to get the performance you want. So it's a very broad lifestyle uh, term for sure.
1: And I, I completely agree with this. And as a person who I, I initially got into nootropics because I was in an industry where that extra level of performance mentally led to a greater bonus. And I think that's almost the most backwards approach possible. I wasn't following my passion. I didn't have the right mindset towards it. It was just completely searching for, I'm sure you've watched the movie many times, but that limitless pill uh, NZt, which I, I just want to be clear to everybody there's not really an NZT out there,
2: is that right yeah absolutely yeah Nzt very fictionalized and definitely plays on you know some aspects of our psychology because we we wish in many cases that there was a magic pill, a magic pill that could solve our relationship problems or a magic pill that can solve our professional problems it really a magic pill that can solve the hole that we might feel inside if we're not, you know, fulfilled.
1: In the book, you also have a few other non-nootropic enhancers that you recommend, uh, things like fasting and a couple of others. Do you mind touching on that?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Fasting has been, for me, probably one of the the best practices that I've engaged in. I've been doing it for five or six years now on a- Me too. I love it. Just like an intermittent fasting regime
1: So, are you referring to more like 16.8 or something slightly different? Because, you know, Volter Longo goes for three days or sometimes longer. Uh, Are you referring more to 16.8 though?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. 16.8 tends to be the just easiest for me from a simplicity perspective. There are random times throughout the year, throughout the month, where I just decide to skip a day if I, you know, lunch. I forget to eat lunch or whatever. and I just skip the whole day. There's plenty of science behind it. So I won't try and regurgitate the studies around it. But I try and think about it from a more evolutionary perspective. Uh, I'm very much a morning person. I do my best work in the morning. And my thought is from an evolutionary perspective, the time that I'm going to be the most alert, the most uh, mentally capable is uh, the time when in a historical perspective i needed to be hunting i needed to be out looking for food and mentally sharp and it applies to the day-to-day work if in the morning i haven't had anything to eat i am feeling far more mentally sharp obviously my version of hunting is different but the same fundamental physiology applies and the same evolutionary psychology applies so it's that's kind of a perspective that i give for people to understand, like what is going on with the brain in in such a circumstance, beyond the you know all the studies that show increased brain-derived neurotrophic factor and all the different you know enhancements from a more research-oriented perspective,
1: and, and we can link to some of these in the show notes. And just for everybody's benefit, those show notes will be at decodingsuperhuman.com backslash Mansal, and I'll uh, I'll link to all of this and some of the studies in the show notes. I think we could talk about BDNF forever. Uh, it's one of my favorite things to, to activate and upregulate the most. But going back to your morning, you talk a little bit about deep work. And we've had other guests on the podcast who really love this concept of deep work. Do you mind just doing a, a quick overview of what that is? And then we'll, we'll get into the,
2: the meat of the tropics. To me, deep work is uninterrupted, Work that is 100% free from distractions. And that's the key caveat because for each individual, it requires really determining what is considered a distraction and what is not a distraction. Because for me, I'm very sensitive. And so my morning routine might include earplugs. Like I still have earplugs in my ears, even though. There's nobody in my apartment. I have my phone on airplane mode away from me completely. I don't access email. I have a tool. that's actually called Inbox When Ready. And so even if I need to find something in my inbox, I don't see the unread emails and all that nonsense. So I'm very, very particular about creating this context it's kind of a what i want to call like a a safe space or a workspace and it's both the physical space that i'm in the environment that i'm in but also the mental space that i'm in that's why i'm a big believer in starting off uh, with some type of meditation in the morning some type of mindfulness practice even if it's just going for a walk you know without any music or, or technology do you have a
1: favorite type of meditation practice
2: yes i've done two vipassana meditation retreats so i tend to gravitate towards either vipassana or what they teach called anapana which is just breath focused uh Mm -hmm. basically focused on the sensations of your breath Mm -hmm. and by no means perfect like it's probably 99 percent thoughts and then one percent peace But that 1% piece,
1: that 1% piece makes all the difference, right? Yeah,
2: absolutely. And then I think I also mentioned in the book about some type of gratitude practice to put me in a mind space where I feel so grateful for everything, then that's where my best work always seems to happen. You know, that's kind of little bits and pieces of what my morning routine looks like. but But it's all very intentional for me to create a space where there's at least you know, two to three hours of intense deep work, creating some type of content, brainstorming, whatever it might be. And for, you know, people in your audience who are interested in doing deep work, but they're scared about how intense that sounds. One thing I always, you know, feel is is really cool about the deep work is you can do so much more valuable stuff within a deep work session than you can working a full like eight hours a day and so i religiously track my time in in a google calendar with a very specific process that i've created and i consistently spend you know six hours or less a day working but i get quite a lot accomplished because it's very compressed deep work that's creative and producing things as opposed to reacting to work. Yeah. We have, we have a lot of high
1: performers who listen here. And I I just think the key message there is just the return on investment of deep work. And I've noticed this myself after leaving a banking industry where it was anything but deep work, but you know, the amount that you're able to get done in a shorter period of time, the return on investment is immensely high uh, for people. So, and one book that, I do recommend people check out is Cal Newport's Deep Workbook. He was, uh, I'm not sure he's the originator of the idea, but he definitely published the book on it. Um, Moving forward, back to nootropics, the original purpose of this conversation. Okay, who are nootropics for? And I think you already touched on, you know, what they can do for us, but who are they definitely not for?
2: I would say to some degree, I believe nootropics are for... Everybody who is willing to take responsibility for their actions. That caveat comes from the fact that no one nootropic is good. No one nootropic is bad. There's no right or wrong when it comes to nootropics. There's only what works for you. And that is a process. And that is a process of self-understanding, not just understanding the biochemistry of how a Substance interacts with your brain and neurochemistry, but also a process of understanding your internal motivations. Is your audience, for example, being motivated purely by this drive for money, or is there something deeper there besides trying to achieve a higher level of financial abundance? Perhaps they have limiting beliefs around what they value in themselves. They don't have a lot of self-worth if they don't have a lot of money, or they think that th- their parents would be disappointed if they didn't have a certain status. And so these are all emotional issues that are informing day-to-day decisions. That That's really one of the, the most interesting parts of my work is helping people to see those deeper issues, how they relate to The nootropic choices that they're making and giving them the awareness to take the responsibility for themselves.
1: Okay. So, nootropics really anybody who's willing to take the responsibility for themselves, people who they're not for, generally, probably the 180 of that. You know, if you're not willing to take responsibility and you're just looking for some sort of edge without addressing all the other issues, is suffice to say the people who they're not
2: for. Exactly. Yeah. People who are looking for the NZT. And the people who are looking for the magic pill. And those people who are looking for those things, I don't want to shame them or make them wrong in any way because I think that that nootropics could be for them if they are, you know, just following their natural instincts to, to look for a magic pill, but then realize with some education that it might not be so. It's really the people who are kind of so obstinate that they don't really care about any kind of education around what they're taking. It's just, is this going to get me to do X, Y, Z better? I'm going to take it. It doesn't matter what the side effects are.
1: One of the ones that you used a little bit in the, the documentary, Modafinil, and it's been described by many people. And I think maybe even including yourself as the closest thing to NZT, but do you mind describing for us exactly what is modafinil, potential downsides as well? And I I do have a side question about this, but we can go through what is modafinil first.
2: Yeah, that quote you mentioned, if I remember correctly, is Dave Asprey. Um, He's a big Ah. modafinil proponent. And to some degree, I appreciate the value of modafinil as well. I think that it is... So it was traditionally developed, synthesized as a wakefulness agent for narcolepsy. And that distinction of wakefulness agent is quite different as far as how it interacts with the brain to something like Adderall or some kind of amphetamine-based stimulant. So it is slightly different. And in many studies of Uh, the two together, comparing modafinil and Adderall, there seem to be fewer side effects with modafinil. There seems to be a similar cognitive effect with modafinil compared to some of the amphetamine-based drugs. And so I often consider it definitely to be the lesser of two evils when it comes to, you know, just the high rate of Adderall and amphetamine usage in, in high performers. And I do think that there's value in some of the other aspects of modafinil, such as the the research that suggests it could improve working memory, some aspects of our cognitive ability in, in lateral thinking, which is oftentimes the antithesis to a more like vertical focus and concentration, like tunnel vision. So there's... Definitely, these advantages of modafinil, and at the same time, it is still a high powered stimulant. First of all, it does interact with the dopaminergic system in a way that can, you know, create some kinds of dependencies and create some kinds of tolerance. And it influences the adrenal system, which many people who uh, are taking modafinil too often and sensitive can experience adrenal fatigue, especially when combined with. Caffeine. In the documentary, I actually used r which is the specific antimer or polymer, I forget which one, of modafinil that is the psychoactive version. It's the, the actual one that improves focus and concentration. It's a wakefulness agent. And that one has a higher risk of side effects. So, r the more potent of the two, has a higher risk of side effects. In fact, in the documentary, I had you know pain in my chest that was pretty severe for the whole day because I hadn't used armodafinil in so long so there's
1: almost an adaptation process yeah okay.
2: some people there is and i also have noticed just from anecdotal reports that people respond oftentimes to one or the other better many people can use medafinil and armodafinil is either too powerful or just doesn't work for them which is the case for me and then there's some people who had the reverse, where modafinil works, but modafinil is not something that they really appreciate. Anyone who's looking to use modafinil who hasn't been prescribed it, my recommendation is to try is really really cycle it if you're going to use it. Use it mm-hmm. once a week. Give yourself plenty of time to recuperate. You know the brain chemicals are finite and need recuperation time. And so cycling once a week for a very you know specific reason is Probably the best bet.
1: Yeah. And just so everybody's aware, we're just sharing information here. You know, this is uh, based on Mansal's experience as well as what he's done with his clients, but this is sharing information. If you are going to take modafinil, please speak to your physician. We're not medical doctors. We're just sharing information at this point. The one thing on modafinil that I've also noticed, because we do a lot with genetics, is that there are some SNPs, particularly in COMT, which you mentioned the dopamine uh, system that are associated with people who just don't respond to modafinil. And I'll put a link in the show notes for people that they can go and if they have their 23andMe done, you can look it up right away.
0: But um, moving on. So modafinil, one thing I've
1: heard, and I haven't really been able to find this study liver pain or liver problems associated with modafinil. Is it true or is this just something I heard on a podcast that's just unfounded?
2: Uh, I don't remember a specific study offhand. I know that adrafinil, which is a another chemical compound within the family, it was actually the original compound uh, within this family. Adrafinil is used, converted in the liver into modafinil. So many people use drafinil as an alternative, but the dosage is much higher, 600-700 milligram dosage instead of 200 milligrams for uh, modafinil. And what ends up happening is the liver has to work overtime in order to produce the modafinil, and it does create some potential for side effects. So I know a drafinil does influence the liver in that way. And I wouldn't be surprised if either r or modafinil negatively influence liver enzymes. Another reason why with all of these things, just like I said, there's no right or wrong, but if you're going to use it, do so sparingly and do so consciously. And do your own, do, do the research, right? Right. So
1: on, on, Nootropics. So, nootropics have, uh, you know, they've been around for a relatively long time. But in terms of long-term studies, this is a question that came from a client of mine. Are there any long-term studies on nootropics? And also, do you mind touching on particularly some of the downside potential downsides that come with nootropics?
2: Yeah, the studies on nootropics are pretty short to medium term. Unfortunately, funding in a clinical setting is so expensive that it, you know, long-term studies tend to be really challenging to to operate. The longest that I've seen uh, has been, you know, things like Bacopa monieri has you know some some studies I think that are twelve weeks or longer than that. There's some studies with piracetam that are longer as well. And so, as far as what I would like to see on long-term studies, as a long-term user of nootropics myself, there are not that many great studies. Unfortunately, I think that's a result of just financial limitations rather than a, a lack of value over the long term.
1: Before we get into more downsides, do you, there are a couple of names you mentioned there, like piracetam and just the racetams in general. Some people listening to this may be saying, okay, this is like a foreign language to me. It's like Mandarin. You know, Do you mind touching on what some of these nootropics are and what they do?
2: Yeah, sure. So puracetam and the racetam family are a line of drugs that were initially developed in the 1960s by a Romanian scientist, and I won't even try and butcher his name, but the <laughs> scientist uh, developed piracetam as a derivative of GABA, which is a neurochemical that's used to regulate calm relaxation, etc. cetera. This synthetic derivative had a profound effect on improving memory formation and learning ability. And as they studied piracetam and then some of the other drugs that are in this family, like oxiracetam, anuracetam, phenylparacetam, fasiracetam, they found that all of the drugs were cholinergic enhancers in some capacity oftentimes through specific mechanisms that were slightly different from one to the other so i realize i'm kind of geeking out on this a little bit but
1: is, dude, just let's pause real quick because so, you said cholinergic yeah uh, some people may not be familiar with that you're referring to
2: more the acetylcholine pathways. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. These pathways, oftentimes in a simplified way, they influence many aspects of cognition, but they're oftentimes useful for increasing memory formation and learning ability. And Perfect. that's kind of the, the direct simple tie that I create between the, the racetam family and kind of the cognitive effect that one could experience. They're relatively well studied, both in animals and in humans. Many drugs within the racetam family have been used as Alzheimer's drugs or senile dementia drugs in other countries like Russia, former Soviet Union. And so there's a lot of people that utilize these compounds from a clinical perspective, but also obviously many in the cognitive enhancement space that find it's valuable for improving mental performance.
1: Moving on now, You've touched on the racetams. You touched on modafinil. How about your own favorite nootropics? Do you mind touching on some of the ones that you like and personally use uh, and what effects they, they provide to you?
2: Yeah, sure. One of the stacks that I use on a regular basis, in fact, it's the only stack that I use regularly, is called Qualia. And I use it very particularly, probably one or Two times per week, and I only use step one. So you don't you
1: don't do the five out of seven days like the the black card you get.
2: Correct. So I, I I back off a little bit more than they suggest, and I appreciate first and foremost the ingredients are solid in terms of their studies. I think there's quite a few ingredients which gives me some concern as far as how things are interacting with each other and how they interact with you know, basically my own individual variables and, and finding out what's working for me. But by and large, I have a lot of faith in the team at the Neurohacker Collective because of the faith in the team and knowing them on a on a more personal level. I have a lot of faith in their there. Uh, product, but like I said, you know, I'm not really a show for them. I've just told you and your audience that I use it far yeah. less than they recommend, and I. You
1: know. And in full disclosure, I, I really like Qualia as well, so much so that I'm an investor in the company. But uh, th- that's a side point. Anyways, going back to your experience with Qualia, that's inter- the approach you're taking is very interesting. So I'm I'm very intrigued. So it's twice a week, and you're only doing step one. Did
2: I have that right? Yes, that came around by no real scientific analysis per se, although there is some like combination of ingredients in step two that I found to be a little bit intense. But the bigger thing for me was just, it was a personal preference thing. I fast until around noon every day. And you're not supposed to take step two unless it's with food. And if I take step two with food at noon, it will negatively impact my sleep. Because I go to bed, you know, like 9.30, like relatively early compared to most people. And so it's just a simple timing issue that made it less feasible for me or less interesting for me to, to take step one and step two. And I think you, you brought up a good point about people need to try out and see what
1: works best for them. Anything aside from qualia that you find to be very helpful? Any other uh, nootropics that you'd like to touch on?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I am a really big fan of fennel thrasam. Uh, I used it this morning actually. It's great for verbal fluency. So any day that I know that I have podcasts speaking with people in any kind of capacity it tends to be really effective for me in that regard. It also has some great, you know, physical stimulation benefits. I like going to the gym when I take fenilprestam. I like the creativity that comes from fenilprestam and for any of your audience that is interested i actually utilized fenilprasthem when i was in the documentary doing the qeeg and so mm-hmm. the the neuroscientist dr hill looked at my brain both on and off the phenylperastam, and he showed you know a litany of things like improved creativity improved focus and concentration uh, basically the brain pattern was similar to that of a flow state so this is definitely you know one of my favorites um, and it works with me uh, very well but again I cycle this and take it once maybe twice a week the things that I take on a more regular basis are obviously the creatine for just basic ATP production and mitochondrial health I think that's one that
1: most people think of and they think of bodybuilders right the important thing to remember is that your mitochondria need ATP as well so
2: yeah and I like sulforaphane. I use a very specific brand called Avmacol because that's the only brand where the myrosinase enzyme and the glucoraphanin are together in one compound. Mm-hmm. To simplify that, sulforaphane is a great detoxifier and it's great for you know anti-cancer, just you know, a litany of, of different benefits. But the problem is if you're not eating a ton of broccoli sprouts every day, it's hard to get exactly what you need from the supplements, but there's one supplement brand that has done a good job of of molecularly creating what you need. What
0: was the name of that one again?
2: It's sulforaphane from Avmacol. Avmacol. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I also like Lion's Mane on a daily basis for neurogenesis purposes and rhodiola rosea on a daily basis for improving just like stress response. And adaptogenic response. Mm -hmm. Uh, I typically will take random series of days with no nootropics at all. So three days at a time. Pretty important for your body not to adapt to it, right? Exactly. Like our body is a equilibrium loving machine and doesn't matter what it is that you're taking. The best example for most of your audience is probably coffee. Think about how great you feel. The first day you ever had coffee or first day you have it after you know many, many months. And then think about the second day, the third day, and what happens on the 10th day. It's so evident that the body is constantly adapting. And so we need to be as willing to throw in randomness to our system from a supplemental perspective in order to get the most out of it, in my perp- opinion.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with you. The importance of cycling supplements in general uh, in order to get maximum benefits. You mentioned coffee, but I always tell people if, if you can go for a, a coffee breaker. I don't want to say coffee fast, but just uh, and just take a break from the caffeine for a while. It's it's very beneficial. A couple of things you mentioned there uh, in terms of lion's mane and also the phenolpyracetam. Do you have a brand that you recommend for Uh
2: Typically, I just go with Pure Nootropics. They mm-hmm. usually are a reliable brand, and they've got uh, third-party certificates of analysis, which is mm-hmm. something that I'm pretty conscious of when it comes to any kind of rastam or any kind of I mean, you don't want to buy yours
1: from china and get the you know that random box shipped over
2: right yeah heavy metals and all that aren't my cup of tea necessarily so you mean mercury doesn't really act in hands, right <laughs> but um just Uh,
1: on the next one i think was lion's mane are you using four sigmatic or something else
2: no i actually just for simplicity's sake i use uh capsules from pure nootropics as well so just get them from the same place but uh four sigmatic is one of those few companies that has entered the mainstream kind of audience that actually Mm -hmm. does use fruiting bodies in their lion's mane uh, product they have sizable dose. So it's actually an effective like lion's mane dose for improving neurogenesis. So there's, you know, many businesses that produce a, a popular product that doesn't necessarily work all that well, but uh, I've been pretty surprised with with how great their, their stuff is.
1: A couple more questions for you, because I know you have to get going, but uh, we touched on your favorite nootropics or some of them at least, and I'll link to your website, Nutripedia, right? Yeah. And uh, I'll link to that because there's just worlds and worlds of information that we won't be able to cover all of it here. In terms of the cycling, but also as people approach this, the cautions that we should give them in terms of this experimentation there's something in the book that you mentioned called the Shulgin Shulgin method or Shulgin method Uh, forgive my pronunciation but also if you don't mind sharing the story of your friend Charles who I think that's a pseudonym uh, that would be helpful for people
2: yeah so the Shulgin method as I remember it is a kind of a three-step process I guess I'll back up a little bit Alexander Shulgin was a, a great chemist He developed a number of different psychedelic analogs to LSD and various others that influenced different regions of the brain. And he had a method that he used because he tried many of the substances out himself, on himself. He would first try a fraction of a dose, let's say one-tenth of a dose, just to rule out any kind of allergies to the substance. And that would be step one is, you know, rule out some allergies with, uh, with maybe let's say one tenth of a dose, then step two, the next day or the next time he would use the substance would be to use half the recommended dose. You've already ruled out the allergies, but then try and see if there's, if it works within your system to some degree. And then finally, the third step would be to use a full dose, whatever that may be for for the substance you're using that way. Like I said, it's just a way of hopefully protecting people from substances because we don't know what's going to impact us negatively until we take it. And it's better to work our way into a substance than to take, you know, a full thing. So, you know, for example, if someone were to buy qualia and they wanted to get started on step one, they might take one pill, day one. Day two, they might take two pills. And day three, they might take all three pills for step one. And that would be kind of a similar application of that strategy to different nootropics.
1: And then the cautionary story that we have to give everybody about nootropics. um, And I appreciate you sharing this in the book. If you don't mind just running through Charles real quick.
2: Yeah. So Charles was a, a, yes, it's a pseudonym. He was a, a friend of mine and he was an active participant in different nootropics communities. And he lived in Austin, Texas. He did a lot of self-experimentation, and he was, a, he was a really, really bright person. And I remember when I would meet up with him, I was oftentimes blown away by his biochemistry knowledge, his knowledge of physiology, how the, the substances influence the brain. And it was obvious to me that he had done his research. And at the same time, he was very liberal with what he was willing to try. So he tried lots of experimental drugs, lots of peptides, et cetera. And the one problem, which this one definitely was not his fault, he ordered a substance and the company sent him a different substance. And so you can imagine, let's say, piracetam and nupept. These are two substances. They're supposed to be a thousand times the dose uh, difference. So nupept is supposed to be a thousand times stronger than piracetam. Well, imagine you've got a drug. He thought it was this thing that is, uh, you know, relatively safe to take, but it turns out it's accidentally a thousand times stronger than what you think. And so he made the mistake, took a dose he thought was a normal dose, but it ended up being far stronger because they sent him the wrong compound. He had seizures and he ended up going to the emergency room. The problem was it wasn't immediate so he didn't take the substance and immediately have seizures where they could instantly draw the correlation. So a few months go by and he or maybe even a couple of weeks go by and he tries it again and he has the same response within the same day. And it's at that point he realized oh this is not what I think that it is. After two seizures going to the emergency room twice, it took a heavy toll on his body and they eventually found out that the company had sent the wrong compounds altogether. That's, that was the problem to begin with. And within eight months to a year, he passed away. It took a while. Obviously, within a year, a lot can happen. But there was a lot of speculation in the community that yeah. it was these two overdoses that contributed greatly to his passing, especially because he was in his younger to mid 30s, so he was not an old person by any stretch. That cautionary tale is something that I inform everyone of that I can because it is so important to keep in mind uh, not only the fragility of human life, but also the opportunity for other people's mistakes to cost us dearly. I'm glad you shared the story because with everybody here
1: listening who may be looking to get into this field. And we'll we'll talk about how to do that next, but uh, it's just more of a caveat and tour, right? You want to enter with, you know, knowing everything you can make sure you have good suppliers, et cetera, et cetera, good information, go to websites like yours just to make sure that um, that information is good. And even if you do have all that information, sometimes things can go wrong. A couple of final questions for you, Monsal, is uh, how do people get started in nootropics? I mean, for me, I stumbled upon things like Alpha Brain many, many years ago. But how do you recommend people start in terms of building their knowledge about this particular field?
2: Well, I like for people to have a dual approach to understanding nootropics and one is kind of the research perspective from a you know scientific research perspective and then also the anecdotal experience perspective and so my recommendation for people without being too self-serving is to you know have them go peruse my website and just read about a few of the different things that are out there there's ncbi references and every single one of the pieces of content on my site and then go to a place like reddit and search for questions that you have to see how certain substances impact other people and get anecdotes from other people because those are the two data points that you want to utilize in order to inform your decisions because. You know, just going scientific will keep you in the dark ages when there's stuff that works a lot better than what we have funding for. And then just going to the anecdotes will have you in r- very risky territory because there's no scientific basis behind, you know, what people are experiencing. So it's kind of a mix of both. I suggest people self-educate in that way. Definitely do the research. You know, that quote, I think it's measured twice, cut once or something like that. Try and implement that in nootropics research. Like do more research than you do buying nootropics mm-hmm. would be my suggestion.
1: All great suggestions. And we'll link to some of, the, some of the subreddits as well in the show notes. Hopefully people don't just jump in and start commenting along and get blown up. But uh, by all those in Reddit, fantastic advice, myself. In terms of just ways that people can find out more about you, the website's Neutropedia. We'll link to it in the, in the show notes. Um, the book is ahead above, and I'll link to the documentary as well. But is there ways or ways people that can find you if they have any questions?
2: Yeah, if any of your audience wants to ask a question via email, my uh, email address is mansal, M-A-N-S-A-L, at neutropedia.com. I'm on Instagram. I just have my personal Instagram and obviously people are welcome to find me on Facebook. I'm pretty open and responsive to things, you know, even with all the stuff that I have going on. And for people who are interested in the work that I've done, whether it's the book or the documentary, I tend to keep everything as free as I can. And so the documentary is completely free for people to, to stream online, um, you know, with a link that you can put in the show notes. And then also the book I now have, the soft cover book is free online if people just pay for shipping. And mm-hmm. so um, oftentimes I actually lose money, but the objective is like, get somebody something small, digestible that they can read in, you know, a couple sittings and have a really good primer on where to start with nootropics and cognitive enhancement yeah i encourage people to to look on those avenues and uh, get all the free stuff they can that's what it's there for
1: awesome and i just want to say thank you Monsal, for putting all this together the documentary was great the book as i mentioned before is very informative and i like the approach that you took to it and your website i i spend way too many hours on it, just browsing as well as the newsletter that I get every Thursday. So thank you again for everything that you do
2: and educating the world in nootropics Absolutely. thanks for having me on and letting me speak to your audience.:
1: Awesome. to all the superhumans listening. Thank you so much. Have a great
0: day.: Hey there, Superhuman. It's Boomer again. Just one more thing before you go. Actually, when you go? Do you mind going over to iTunes and leaving a five-star rating and some comments? It really helps get the word out about Decoding Superhuman, and I always love to hear your feedback. Have an epic day.